The book of Psalms, we read this last time. Psalm 66, we'll read from verse 1 to verse 9. Let's go. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Five, come and see the works of the Lord, who is awesome in his deeds toward the sons of men. They turn the sea into dry land. They pass through the river on foot. There let us rejoice in him. Seven, he rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Eight, bless our God, O peoples, and shout his praise abroad. Nine, who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to sleep. Amen. We're going to stop reading here. He said he rules by his might forever. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus rules by his might forever. Amen. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Amen. He said, let not the rebellious exalt themselves. You know what that means? Jesus is going to humble every exalted person. And we declare that over this nation in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. All right, quickly, let's take our declaration of understanding. We'll do that usually when we want to start teaching. I believe we all know it by heart. All right, one to let's go. Now I declare. Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. Word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen? amen. I said amen. amen. All right, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats and get into the teaching for today. All right, let's open our Bibles today again. We'll start from where we, were, uh, where we read last time, First Samuel. Uh, what we are studying is um, some lessons from the life of David. I will title this, David, a man after God's heart. We want to look at the things that um, impress God about him. And of course, the purpose is so that we will know the character of Christ that we are to emulate. So that we will know the part of Christ that we are supposed to become like. That is what it's all about. So we're going to start again from that um, story about the anointing of David, which is the first time he appeared in the Bible. Not his name itself. His name showed up in Ruth. But his, the story about his life began in our scriptures from when Samuel went to the house of his father to anoint him. It's a story we know well, so we'll not spend too much time um, reading it. So I'll be a bit quick. From First Samuel chapter 16. First Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? Of course, we know the Lord had rejected Saul. He said, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. Now, please, we are going to jump down to verse um, 5. Okay, let's just start from 4. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and he came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to him and said, Do you come in peace? He said, In peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. 
Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Of course, we know what he was trying to do. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought. Now, Eliab was big, was tall. He was already a warrior. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, which was what he was looking at. Because I have rejected him. Please, I want you to note that again. He said, I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, that's the next son, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all the children? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. When he was, he said, now he was ruddy, with beautiful eyes, and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. He was the youngest, don't forget that. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit, that is a harmful spirit, some versions we say, from the Lord terrorized him. The Lord was the one afflicting him. If you read New Living Translation, it says, a tormenting spirit from God. That's what happened. Now I just wanted to add that one. Now we've read this to bring out the, um, David must have looked like me. Do you know why? New Living Translation says, Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. How else do you look like Pastor Vanky? <laughs> the Lord is good. Now, dark in this context is because he's, he's outdoors most of the time. So the sun had touched him quite well. So he was darker than the others who had, were not as outside as he was. Okay. Now, why did I read this? What we want to examine here is that God says something about David. We want to examine why God chose David. And we're going to do our... Um, a bit of analysis of the life of this young man, David. How old was he when he was anointed? We're not very sure, all right? Uh, there are different estimates. Some have estimated that he's as young as, you know, maybe like um, seven, eight. And I felt that's a bit odd, personally, because they left him alone with the sheep. <laughs> I'm not saying it's impossible, but I just felt it's a bit um, um, odd. Uh, one man analyzed the fact that um, if he was the youngest, that the first three were in um, Samuel's um, in Saul's army, but the analysis was not very accurate because um, I don't know how many of them were in Saul's army at this particular point in time. Because he had grown a little older by the time he went to um, go and run that errand for his father when he met Goliath. Now, I don't know exactly how long, but it took, I think it was a few years after this that he met Goliath. Just by the way, the anointing was very early in his life. If you read the scriptures, read Samuel, you will get the impression that next day he now met Goliath. No, it wasn't like that. It took a while. It took a while. In fact, I, I was reading the stories and I noticed that 
Some have said that not all the stories are chronological. So it's a bit difficult to really place what happened where. But of course, we know this was the first thing that happened. He was anointed and he was very young at this particular point in time. When he went, um, the first thing that happened was that he was playing the instrument for Saul as treatment for his mental state. Do you understand? And by that time, they called him, they described him as a man of war. He had grown. He was not as small. He was not ruddy and handsome anymore like he was here. He had grown. He was older. Now, the first, the next time you hear about him was when he faced Goliath. Now, before he faced Goliath, the Bible says that he used to go in and out uh, with Saul. That is, he was not constantly with Saul. He will walk for some time. When Saul will get better, they let him go home. Then when King starts deteriorating again, they will send for him. So he was going in and out, working for Saul. It was in that period that the issue of Goliath came up. And then he faced Goliath. Now, what I'm trying to bring out is the fact that by the time he faced, um, first, there are two things. One, he began to play for Saul. We don't know how long this was before then. Then after I had been playing to um, the harp to take care of Saul, then one day he came in that period, because he used to go in and out. It wasn't constantly, let's read it, because all of you are looking like I'm saying things I got from somewhere. If you read from verse 14, time will not allow us. In verse 16, they said, the same chapter, verse 16, let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tr- tormenting spirit troubles you. I'm in the New Living Translation. He will play soothing music, and you will soon be well again. All right. They said they should find one. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war. Can you see? He has transited from being one small boy that was ruddy and handsome. Are you getting my point? To a point in which they say he's a brave warrior. And he has good judgment. He's a fine-looking young man. And the Lord is with him. So, so they now, of course, royal request. Messengers were sent to Jesse to send them um, David. I hope you're getting my point. One day, the issue of Goliath came up. You'd be surprised that Saul did not even know who he was, even though he had been working for him for some time. When he now said, okay, this, it was as if he was being introduced to the young man all over again. But what I want to bring out in all of this is this, because I think I'm, I'm belaboring this point. And that's the fact that the first time he was anointed, he was young. Now, please listen to this closely. He had not killed a bear. He had not killed a lion. That's why I'm going with the whole story. When he was first anointed, he had not done any great work. The only thing he had done was just to obey his father. You know, if, you, if you're not careful, if I don't bring this thing up, you will assume that David, one day, they anointed him. Next day, he was killing Goliath. From the time he was anointed till he, was, he killed Goliath was years. I don't know how many years. First step into the palace was to go and play. It was to go and play. That was the first thing in the palace. Been, I don't know how long he did that before the issue of Goliath came up. Now, one thing emphasizes that you will see that he told the story of killing the bear and killing the lion. If you don't think about it, you'll assume it was before Samuel came. I don't think it was before Samuel came. It was the interval between the time Samuel came and when he met Goliath. Now, to prove to you that he used to walk, still keeping the sheep, when he came, and he came to the Goliath challenge, what did his brother say? With whom? So, he wasn't working for the Saul full-time that time. He just used to come, do his work, and then he would leave. He was still working for his father most of the time. 
So his father, his brother said, listen, so with whom did you keep the few sheep? That was the anger they had with him. That he had come here now to come and look. They didn't expect him. Saul was okay at that time. They did not anybody, need anybody playing for him. Now, I'm trying to emphasize to you that when God told Samuel to go and anoint David, there was nothing about David. There was nothing that any person could recognize about David. If his age, I don't know the exact age, but he was really young. I will put his age personally, just a wild guess, maybe between 12 and 13, thereabout. That's where I'll put it. Some have put as low as 8. I don't know. But one thing is certain, he was young. Then at that young age, God had already seen something in him. Please let me say this. It was not a matter of predestination. Sometimes young people look at it as if serving God is for old people. That when we are old, we will now serve God. You know, Sadhu Salvaraj. How many of you have heard of Sadhu Salvaraj? Okay, I have seen his um, pictures or heard his messages. I heard his prophecies. Sadhu doesn't believe in children's church. Sadhu said, gather everybody to him. That there's nothing you are preaching. The children can't hear. In fact, he has a personal, strong push to minister to children. That's why they will come, then do youth, you know, and you do real children's, like, gather everybody. Even if they are five years old, let them sit down there while he's preaching. He said, you will preach for hours, they can sit for hours. He doesn't believe that uh, all this fun of, uh, make them go and hear Bible stories. He said, no. You are preaching under that anointing. Let them sit there. He has his reasons for that. Now, what I want to emphasize is that many of us think that it's when you are older, you now make up your mind whether you want to serve the Lord or not. Unfortunately, it's not so. He starts checking from the time you are very small. From the time you are small, he's already checking. Now, what was about David? I think I have the answer. What did God like about David? Let me start by saying that David was not perfect at all. Do I need to tell you that? No, he wasn't. God doesn't look for perfect people. He never thought David was perfect. But there was one thing he was looking for in David. Now, before I say that, let me just quickly remind us of something many of us may have overlooked. The impression we give ourselves sometimes is that that time that Samuel was um, judging Israel, they were a nation that was all everybody was serving God. I hope you know it wasn't so. It was not so. Those people, they used to still walk in idolatry. Samuel had a hard time. First, in the time of Eli, idolatry was the normal thing. What Eli and his son, uh, the sons of Eli were doing was a reflection of what everybody was doing in Israel. They were serving other gods. Israel was not the way it was under David. By the time David came into power, hmm, saw this is a small bit of revival, but things went bad. But David enforced that everybody lined up. Now, my reason for saying this is that by the time David was being chosen, there was still a lot of idolatry in the land. In fact, the problem, the reason why God was angry with Israel was that he had raised up the Ammonites against Israel as a, sign, as a judgment for their idolatry. And instead of them recognizing that what we end our idolatry is repentance. Sorry, not um, idolatry. Our oppression, our trouble was repentance. They said no. What we end our trouble is what? We get a standing army. What they were looking for, please, let's just get it clear. It was not the king to worship. It was not the way we have traditional rulers now. One rich, fat man who does not really do anything more than just wield his power. 
those days, the king was the head of the army. I hope you're getting my point. Like we still have it to today, you have a commander-in-chief of the armed forces. He literally went in front of the army. If I was listening to one man of God, he was explaining that till today, the way the Israel, Israeli army fights, is still like that. And usually when they go to war, they lose a disproportionately large number of officers. Because their officers still go in front till today. The British system is the other way around. You understand? The officers tend to be behind and give instructions. You understand? But the, the Israeli soldiers, the officers stay in front. So Israel those days, that's why kings could die in battle. They used to die in battle. I mean, do I need to tell you about Ahab? With all the dodging Ahab did. Kings used to come into battle. You hear that at the time that kings went to war. David was supposed to be at war. Their kings were men of war. They were not people that uh, just had a royal title. You know, one little boy, you pampered. No. Even if you are little, Joash, they anoint you. They are training you to become a soldier. And if you see the British system, in fact, till now, you see, the royal boys usually do a stint in the army. You have to go into the army. You have to go into the military. That's the only reason why you can be a king. So please bear that in mind. So when Israel said that they wanted a king, what they were saying was not the man they were looking for. It was a structured defense system. They wanted a standing army and a commander of that their army. And they said, that's the reason why we have problems. That is the reason why people are oppressing us. Now, I'm trying to remind us of idolatry in the land. I hope you're getting my point. All right? But God was angry because by that request, they were rejecting his order. The way his order was under the days of the judges was simple. If you had problems around you, what happened? You went in for, into, for repentance. They will have a national revival. People will repent of their sins. Then God will raise randomly one of the judges. So somebody like um, Jephthah will appear. Someone like Gideon will be called by God. You understand? Uh, what's the name of Deborah? And um, the commander of the... Her commander, what's the name of the commander? Deborah now. Barak, thank you. So they will rise up, okay? And go and deliver the people of Israel. Then after that, everybody goes back to his business. They didn't really have a standing army, per se. So they thought that that was the problem they had. So they said, let's solve it. But God said, no. By doing this, you are rejecting me as being ruler over you. Because then their problems were supposed to reflect for them that they were in uh, backsliding. That they were backsliding. That they had a problem with God. That's what it was supposed to reflect. Okay? It was not supposed to be like uh, our army is weak. That is, no matter how strong their opponents were, they couldn't take them out as long as God was with them. Please, I hope you are getting my point. Please bear these things in mind. Now, when Saul came into power, all right, you know, you know, Saul was rejected quickly after. I hope you know that. How long did it last before they went to anoint David? I'm not remembering something here. So you see, Saul did not last long after he was anointed. He did a few things. Then he was rejected. The first major assignment he was given was to go and um, take care of the Amalekites. And then, you know the story, he bungled it, and then God had David anointed as his replacement. Now, after David was anointed, it took years before David took the throne. Now, I'm trying to bring out something here. That that time that David was anointed, there was still a lot of idolatry in the land. Righteousness was not the order of the day. Don't get the impression that the nation was walking with God and walking with God and everybody was straight. Now, in the midst of the problem in the land, 
Are you getting me? David, as a little boy, had already displayed a kind of heart that God noticed. I said earlier, let us not just get the impression that David was um, predestined for this. Predestination does not compel you to do right. Did you hear what I said? Neither does it make you do wrong. Predestination did not make Judas betray Jesus. It was his fault. 100% his fault. It was because he was a thief. Now, he did not set out to go and betray Christ Jesus. He just made, made up his mind that he's going to be a thief. He made up his mind that he was going to be one that will make money from ministry. And that's what I've noticed there. If you're a preacher, please, you are a ministry, don't join it on money. I hope I get my point. Like I always used to say, if you need money as a preacher, you know what you go and do? Go and buy and sell rice, beans, what other things can you sell? Like cement. Then God will give you cement to sell. What else can you do? You can have a transport company. You can sell Bitcoin. That's a joke. I hope you're not planning to do that. You can do everything. But please, don't even look at ministry as a place where you make money. Please, don't be misled now. Please, when I use the word misled now, I'm not blaming anybody. It's you that's going wrongly. Don't be misled by the rich pastors in front of you. When they say pastor is flying a private jet, don't worry. You don't know how he got it. It's not a sign of ministry. I hope you're getting my point. Because a lot of young people, they put their minds that, listen, what we need to do just struggle for the next, for the first 10 years. Then one day we two will make it. Please, if you're a preacher, don't even think about that at all. Don't, just go and preach. If you need money, go and ask God for money. If you ministry, what you're getting from ministry is not good enough, go and, go and open your poultry, start a maize farm. Apostle, what else can we do to make money now? Help me out here. Anything. But please, sales, which kind of CDs now? No, please, knocking on our CDs. What I'm trying to say is this. Please, don't ever look at it as, you know, a way by which you will make money. Now, why, why was I saying that? I was trying to bring out something. Huh? Judas, yes. Thank you. That's what happened to Judas. Judas is not start. So if you, if you don't do what I have said, to deliberately cut your ministry ambitions away from material success. Bros, you are going the way of Judas. There's no other way. You will betray somebody. The other day, my wife and I were going out. Now, please, remind me, you know, I'm, I'm, I've left my message now. I'm just talking about Judas and predestination. They just remind me, say Judas and predestination. One day, my wife and I were going somewhere. That was when I went to preach, yes, at the Methodist program about a week ago. So as we were going, she got to somewhere and I said, ha, started lamenting one kind of lamentation. I said, which kind of lamentation is this one? Because she went with me one of the evenings. And um, he said, no, this place we just passed. It's where one particular pastor used to be. So I said, okay, so what? Okay, now I know the guy. I said, oh, that fellow. Now this man used to be a pastor in what church now? Anyway, one of these Pentecostal churches. Then now he went and, you know, okay, imagine that somebody used to be it won't happen to Pastor Kemote in Jesus' name. Imagine the one day you hear that Pastor Kemote has started a ministry somewhere and he's doing okay. Then one day, you hear he has now submitted his ministry to TV Joshua. Yeah. This is exactly what happened. It wasn't TV Joshua, but something like that. This person used to pastor for one of, I mean, I've been to his meetings before. Preaching hot word, association with good Christian, good ministers. The next I knew, he had taken his ministry and submitted it to one of these 
funny creatures you find around. Ah, one of these false prophets. He has submitted to one of them. I couldn't believe it. Now, it wasn't normal submission. You know that now you're not our papa. It's handover. Like virtually package the whole ministry and dash to the other man. There is now one of, almost like a regional pastor for the big man. So, my wife pointed out that day. And I said, please listen to what I want to say carefully. I said, you know the main problem? Is that you're coming from a place where maybe you preach prosperity a lot. So you thought that as we are preaching and preaching, eventually prosperity will come. And he had labored for years, the prosperity did not come. I told my wife, that's all that happened. And one thing about Satan is that his, his tricks have not yet changed. It is bowed to me, and I will give you the kingdom. It is turn your stones to bread. It hasn't changed. And many preachers, ah, I'm talking to preachers now, we'll get back to our message. The temptation is strong. I was talking to somebody the other day, he was telling me, ah, this person now does this. I said, Kai, is the temptation of this pulpit. This pulpit is very powerful. This pulpit is powerful. If I stand here, listen, if a new governor comes into this place, he will do what I say. Don't you know that? He will do what I say. If I say everybody rise up, if he doesn't stand up, say, please, I said everybody, he will talk to himself. <laughs> yeah. There's one I like to do all the time. But let me not do it for you now because you're, you're, you're used to my trick. I said, everybody, put up your right hand. Do you know everybody does it without thinking? Say after me, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. In fact, there are, there are times... We preachers will cut the sentence into like five. It's at the end, you know whether it's making sense or it's not making sense. And you have repeated the first four. This year, this year, it shall come to pass, it shall come to pass, that, that, I will cut the pieces. So, maybe at the end I say, I shall die. You, that, what did you say? You, you, half will have said it before they know what I said. Even if I say, say it, they'll say, I shall die. In Christ, I will live. In Christ, I will live. They will have said it first. That's how powerful this pulpit is. You don't have to bury anything there. That is just the way God did it. For that reason, many have decided to use it and turn it to bread. Just get, it's a temptation you just have to, from the beginning, say, I won't do it. I won't say anything from here for my own personal advantage. Because, you know, what happens is that what you end up doing is receiving your own inheritance before it's time. Yeah, that's what happens. And the Lord has helped me to understand that. I could come up here and say, okay, listen, no. this, 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 my, my birthday this year is not going to pass like that. So, I begin to talk and talk, tell you how much I have blessed you and you, you have not, so before I go today, everybody must make a pledge. Come on, I will quote scriptures, apostle. Scriptures full ground though. And they are all correct. None of them is a lie. And if I do that, God won't even say, Banky, I will beat you. No, you've not told any lie per se. There's only one issue. You have claimed your own inheritance at your own time. That's where the problem. You see, let me tell you something about God then. Many of the things he does, his judgments, they're not out of anger. They're just, that's the way you like it. Do you get the point? That is, it's just the way you like it. Nobody is angry with you. You are the one that said, that's the way you want it. Like the prodigal son. Give me my inheritance, I'm going. When the father gave it to him, was he angry? When he suffered, was this the father's fault? When he wasted everything, was this father punishing him? It was because he took his inheritance before the time. So sometimes we do some things that are wrong. God said, I'm not angry, like angry, angry. There are times I'm angry. God gets angry. But there are times that it's not anger. It's just that that is what you chose. 
if the father has said, listen, leave this inheritance for the next, till maybe another 15 years, I will give it to you. I said, no, I want it now. Father gives it to him. At that time, it was worth maybe $10 million. If in 15 years, the inheritance is now worth $100 million, and he gives everything to his brother, he can't say he was cheated. You took yours when you wanted it. There are times I ask the Lord, for I'm not telling, I'm not joking about what I'm about to tell you. But I actually ask and say, Lord, please, oh, I hope I'm not jumping because if you insist on something with God, he will give you. So that's how they say, claim it by faith. <laughs> I don't do it anymore. There are things I can claim by faith. Healing by faith. Breakfast by faith. Lunch by faith. You know, those small, small things. Once it goes beyond that, no, I know they do that one. I can tell the Lord, I would like a new car. I would like a bigger house. I want a private plane. I can ask anything. Hey, me, I'm Master Asker. What they call Master Asker? I'm not ashamed to ask the Lord for anything. You know, we started asking him for a private plane recently. Yes, I know I've entered that level. Say, Pastor Val, you have not even bought better car. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> it was my life's experience when we traveled. I talked to a few ministers and we all agreed that it has become necessary that I can't go to preach for two, you know, one night and one morning and spend six days. Doesn't make sense. It's not a good investment of God's time. Where I'm going to preach, I'm going to preach a total of three hours. And it's cost me seven days to get there and get back. I said, that's what they call poverty mentality. No. So I told the Lord, ah, you don't do. I, I know. Seriously. After the one, they did, in the, whatever, whichever airline did me and my wife and I we were going to just about a week and a half ago. My father in heaven. That was a, a friend of mine. He lives in America. One day he sent me a message. He said, Banky, right now I'm browsing private plane websites. Does it have money? <laughs> he said, now I understand why it is needed. He had been away from his family for about a week. He's trying to get back home. One cancellation after cancellation, he's been sitting at the airport. So out of idleness, he whipped out his phone, started browsing. Where do they sell private plane? He said, Banky, now, if I have money, I'm going to buy one. Of course, he doesn't have the money, but he's only saw the need. So that's why I said, I'm a master asker. I just ask the Lord for anything. But I've learned not to insist upon anything, especially when it comes to time. I must have it now, like, like. Yeah, because it's possible for you to receive inher- your inheritance before it's time. Because if you insist, all the things Israel wanted to eat in the wilderness, God was saying to them, it won't do you good. It will not give you the strength to fight giants. By the time you finish eating your cucumbers and garlic and all of that, your spirit, because what manna was feeding them was not just physical energy alone. It was feeding them something into their souls. It's Bible called it, it was the food of angels. If they ate manna, there was a way they saw life. It affected their retina. It affected the way their brain functioned. If they have fed themselves on manna well, they would have seen the giant and would not have been intimidated. But they ate it grudgingly. They wanted cucumbers. God was saying, listen, when you enter that promised land, you will eat anything. But right now, it is not the time for grapes and cucumbers and um, garlic and uh, fried meat, barbecued. No. I have specially prepared this manna. Eat it for now. Is the strength you need to take the promised land? Nobody said no. And everybody that wanted to eat something but manna died. That's the way it works. Like I said, I can ask the Lord for anything. But I've learned not to insist upon anything. There are things I've planned in the past. The Lord's caught two till night has not happened. And I remember once in a while. That's a lot of Thank you very much. It was not good at that time. I thought it was. You didn't let it work. So thank you. If it's ever going to work, fine. If it never work, I will not. I won't get to heaven and say, "Look, while I was on it, you didn't do this for me." I won't worry you about it. Seriously, 
One of the things we have to learn as believers is just to, know what call, that word rest. Know what rest? We need to study rest and know how to rest and just rest in God. Some of the principles we teach we call faith is nothing but taking our destinies out of God's hands into our own hands. Yeah, no, many of you will call faith. I, I, I don't follow those things anymore. So you declare six times a day. On what? That's what I'm going to achieve this year. It's not, listen, read your Bible well. One day, David, God, God blessed David. David went and sat and said, God, why? What have I done to, for you to bless me like this? You even carried this blessing before beyond me to my children. Haba. What does that tell you? You didn't ask anything like that. People think that it's only what you ask God for, he gives you. He gives exceedingly far above what you can even think of. Then he will just look at you and say, let me just bless this guy. You finish blessing, you look and say, ah, it's me be this, like they say. Like I said, it's a digression. Let's just bear that in mind. Faith does not mean I know how to decide what I want and grab it by force. Many of those things is nothing but eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Detailed planning. What do you know about life? See, one of the signs of growth in faith is, that you, faith is that you take all your plans. Tell the Lord, look. Then fling it away. Say, I don't want it again. When he says, sell all you have and give to the poor. <laughs> that statement is loaded. It's like saying, Lord, you know, I have saved money for retirement. Now, I want to, I want to walk by faith. So all that money I've saved, just, just dash it out. Send it around. Share it around. What it remains, I don't know. I hope you know material things are very, very powerful. They talk to you. They speak to you now. They send you on errand. Money will tell you what to do. You wake up in the morning. Money will say, come here. You say, sir. And you don't know. You think you are praying. Ah, in the name of Jesus. It's money that's talking to you. So plan a trip. Father God, as I go on this trip, come into your hands. Money is the one leading you on that trip. <laughs> say, go. One day, one of my friends told me something. I laughed at him. I said, see what money has done to you. Say, he's tired. Say, where are you going? Say, he wants to go to Dubai or Abu Dhabi or somewhere. And I was going to fly first class. So I said, what is the issue? He said, he just wants to see how it feels. I said, see what money does to people. Are you getting my point? You just get up. Just say, I want to fly first class. Where are you going? It's a short trip. What do you have? He said, no, just see. There are things I don't call prosperity. I call it money is telling you do something. Said, what is wrong with it? I always ask, how many times have you, if you have never given that amount of money out uselessly nine times, you're not allowed to fly that useless first class once. Do you hear what I said? You don't seem convinced. Let me tell you how to balance life. To know it's not money send you on an errand, eh? I want to see that you've taken that amount of money and you have given it out. No, no, I don't mean you used to treat your father who's sick. That's not a giving. That's not giving. That is being responsible. I don't mean you used to pay your children's school fees and say, look at that. No, 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 no. Who else will pay the school fees? Me? I mean, you'll solve something that's not your own problem. And you went and solved it. You went to church. They said, please, so we are sending missionaries out next week. They don't know you. you. Took the money and put in the offering basket. I mean, a friend of yours, he wants to get married. Or somebody you know. And you see him struggling to get things done. You took that money and gave it. Those are the kind of things I'm saying. Things that if you did not do, nobody's going to hold you responsible. I hope you're getting my point. And nobody's giving you any credit. Because many people can give once you announce their name. You know that? Just by the way, if your name is painted anywhere in this world that you did something, go and have it removed. Because yesterday we were going to Dechuku's village. I see somebody put sign, ordinary sign for us to know we have reached nowhere. You see, put there, 
donated by, I said, ordinary sign. Do you want to go to heaven? I don't think so. You put sign to your own village. You still put Jason in Awidwa. The people do it a lot. The one that annoys the church. The entire church. This pew was donated by Apostle and Mrs. Okemute. Let me tell you, anytime God sees he's angry, don't think he's rewarding you. He's angry with you perpetually. If you are listening to me, go to your church and say, please, uh, Bishop, remove that thing. Pastor, remove that thing. That sign, no. You know, Christians do it. They said they want to raise a memorial. That is, that's a memorial to be punished. That is God said, let me remember to beat you. And you know the painful thing? Pentecostals actually learn that nonsense. You now enter Pentecostal, you now see chairs with people's names, people who are going to hellfire, half of them, their names are on the chairs. When did we become this mental? When I was young, we ran away from this rubbish from Orthodox churches. It's very easy to laugh at when you don't need money now. You know, we could laugh at them because we're not building cathedrals. All our Pentecostal churches were fellowships. We're not ordaining anybody. We didn't have Bible schools. But by all our Bible schools were informal. Not like informal. Like now I went to Bible school, never in the walls of any classroom. All my, I have done more course content in studying the scriptures than many people that have PhDs. And I'm not exaggerating. But I don't have a certificate to show anybody. Like Paul said, you are my certificate that you left your house. Even though you are pregnant, you came and sit, sat down here. <laughs> it's, it's proof I'm called of God. Who are you looking at? <laughs> It's proof. That's my certificate. They said Rwanda, they said you can you cannot be part of a church except you have a degree in theology. I said that was not hard. I will go to that same Rwanda and I'll say, um, abundant life study center. Is it church you don't want? I will remove the name church, Abby, and I'll start teaching. Even that poor Kigami, his children will come. What are you saying? You think the certificate will use to gather people? The Lord is good. <laughs> That's just by the way, that's just by the way. So those days, Pentecostals, we didn't have this pressure for money. But now we have it. We have to buy land. We have to develop it. We have to air condition the auditorium. We have to pay wages. Then all our ministers were freelance ministers. They were not staff of the, of anything. Then now suddenly we realize that, oh boy, we said we need money. So you will give you a seat so that your fellow in hellfire will come to heaven. Now, so, now, now, small, small now. You know, Catholic Church did it to an extent that you could give what they call an indulgence. You will give on the earth, and your person in purgatory will be moved to heaven. And then we criticize, ah, look at this man. You did, where have you been? We criticize all those things, oh, but you know what? We are now doing it. I've seen people say that you can give so that your son can be saved. What's the difference? So a seed for your child that's on drugs. To me, that is, that is, one man said, he said, there's a grandmother that you need to plant a seed for your grandson that's on drugs. Ah. To me, it's wickedness. That revelation is wicked. That's an easy way to take advantage, because I, look, my children have grandmothers, and grandmothers will sow any seed. Then look, that wedding ring you wore for 80 years, bring it. Your son will be saved. You know what they do? They bring it. What I'm trying to say, Pentecostals went that way also. And it's terrible. I'm calling us out again so that we will stop it. Let's say the way it is, it is evil for you to give to a church and they write your name on the thing you give. Church is not the world. 
You can do that in the University of Nigeria. You can do it for your university. You can do it for a village social center. And by the way, even if you village social center, once you're a Christian, you can't do it. I hope you're getting my point. Even if you are given to a university, your gift is to God. If you're a child of God. This human recognition, you shouldn't want it. Donate and walk away. You, you've not been to Orthodox churches as you are passing. Pew, you put the name there. See the name. Reverend and Mrs. Doctor and Mrs. Mr. Elder and Mrs. There are all kinds of titles. Professor and Mrs. Ichie and Mrs. Everything is there. And there's a lie we lie to ourselves that anybody sits on those pews to worship God, God is recording something for you in heaven. With your name on it, lie, lie. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, you have your reward in full. You know, once money became our problem, eh? We lost it. I had again to that. I know I'd like to drop these things for people because the church needs serious correction now. Oh, the church. Wow, we need it. Some young boy are raised now don't even know what's wrong anymore. Yeah, they don't even know some things are wrong. That's why we need to say it. Young people, listen. Don't come to the front to announce how much money you are giving. Jesus does not like it. Jesus doesn't like it. Anything you cannot give, you be the only person that knows about it. And without you tying anything to it, he doesn't accept. All the offerings you give, because you are broke, so you can multiply, is wasted. And that they were talking here. One of our sisters was saying that something led to it. And I said, ah, if every giver that I see, like, pastor, remind people they should give so they can be blessed. I said, I agree. If you're a giver, you are blessed it's in the scriptures. Amen. I said, boy, if you, and I said, why I don't say it is because if you give because of the blessing, you will get nothing. Why? You're not a giver. I will say it again. Anyone who gives because of the blessing is not a giver. God loves what? A cheerful giver. What a child of God gets as personal reward, that is, what should satisfy you as a child of God when you give, your satisfaction must come from the result of your giving. That is when you are called a giver and God can bless you. And givers don't look out for the blessing that accrues for giving. They just give and they keep walking. I hope you're getting my point. They just give and they keep moving. They don't care whether anybody notices as long as the person is blessed. I told you once, my wife did something. One, one couple really, really, ah, God. I don't, you know something, if you are a, an evil person, she don't marry an evil person. There should be one good person in your family. <laughs> it's in the Bible like this, your children will be sanctified. This one, husband and wife, the same thing. They colluded and conspired. Ah! But later on, their, was it cousin or nephew staying with them? Came and reported that don't mind how she knows about it. They plotted it together. Because the woman was doing it, I did not know. The guy now, you know what they call it, Jaguda? If you will do business, you will never see your money. If you and him do business, your money is gone. They were feeling sorry for the woman. Hey, how can this nice woman go marry only like this? Now her cousin said, hey, that good, my sister. Don't forget her. They, they plot on together. It's one of those days. My wife now saw the woman. I wanted to give her money because she first she needed money. You know, she gave to somebody and said, please, just dash her money for me. Don't, don't say it's from me. One day somebody wanted to borrow money from me in my office. 
For certain reasons, I was angry. I said, I'm not giving you this money. You know, you're just angry. You're just angry. I won't tell you the reason why I was angry. There's a reason. If you ask me after, I will tell you. <laughs> so you know what I did? I told her, look, I gave one funny excuse why I wasn't giving her the money. And I said, go and ask this other person, one of my junior colleagues. And I called that one behind. I said, anything she asked for, give her. I will pay you back. So that one, they started negotiated everything. Okay, this is going to be. So he gave her the money. He came, how much? He told me. I gave him his money back. Just give me a account. I transferred the money to him. And that woman never found out. Unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to her. She'll never know I did. She'll never know I did. If I don't even did one strong thing one day. <laughs> He's a very nice guy. When I just I said, wait, what happened with that particular money? He smiled. I said, why are you smiling like that? He said, I've collected it back and I've eaten it. <laughs> I said, yeah. He said, oh God, I didn't want to tell you. I was broke. <laughs> Uh, this is not two days later, maybe like a year or 18 months after. No, 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 no. Now, all I'm going to say is that, listen, as for us Christians, eh, Christians, we are not trying to get anything. Uh, we just need to reestablish these things. There are some fundamental principles we are throwing away. I was saying a Christian derives his or her satisfaction when it comes to giving from that process of giving and the effect the giving has in the place where it was given to. I hope you're getting my point. It is wrong, it's unchristian for us to describe the blessing of giving as when it comes back to us. That focus removes the ability to be blessed from us. When you want to tell a story about giving, please tell how it blessed somebody. Like the, the kind of stories I like to tell. About two of them are in my mind. Now let me just tell one. This one involved me. One day, there was one brother who was in the mission field. I just remembered him. Ah, so that day, you know this kind of, you just sit down. You just are, are not at rest. But the money I had was small. You know what they say, small? I still remember, I can give you the figure. It was 3,000 naira. This was some years ago, all right? But it was small, even for that time. But I just, my mind was just on, hi. This broke, hi. It's been a while. I've not even sent him anything. He's doing mission. Hi. So I just crawled to the bank. Are yeah, you getting my point? Deposited 3,000 naira for him. 3,000 naira. Then I shameful, you know, shamefacedly sent him a message that, please, oh, I just sent something to him that is very small, that is very, very small. You know, this kind of is small. You know, it's very small. You know, it's not much. It's very, very small. I emphasized this so much. But no, that was all I had. Later on, I saw this man. He, he, he told me a story. He said that day, they didn't have a dime anywhere. No food in the house, nothing. So just told his wife that, look, no, no problem, that when he comes back from the work he's going to. So it was in the process, he got my message. So he quickly dashed to the bank, collected the money I said was very, very small, very, very, very small. Are you getting my point? And came, of course, bought stuff and took home. Do you get my point? That, for me, that was the joy, like, hey, Lord, thank you. Thank you, I did not disobey the Holy Spirit. You know, then you now say, okay, it was the Holy Spirit. I hope you're getting my point. That is a joy. It's like, okay, God now multiplied and gave me 30,000 dollars back. I can't remember whether he did. And if he did, thank you, God. God bless you, God. That's it. Leave it like that. <laughs> no, really. You know, those kind, you're, see, that's why you're a real believer. Those kind of things should make you happy. But, you know, we corrupted Christianity and turned it to the real story is that as I was giving that 3,000 that day, it was paining me. It was spinning me. 
Bohida sus in tears. Sharif with joy. But the evening, hallelujah. There was a job I was waiting for. It just opened. And you know how much I made from it after one week? 300,000. We run around like fools. And God, Jesus is just ashamed. See, look at what my son is excited over. 300,000 there. Look at what my son is excited over. I sat the other day, I was watching one TV program. I said, they are still doing things like this. And they see that money after preaching for us to send money so we can be blessed. Said, you people are still doing things like this. Why won't Dan go to be the richest African? He has more sense than this. I say he has more sense than this. So we have not reached a point where we can rejoice in seeing the travail, the result of the travail of our souls. We are not like Jesus at all in that regard. Because if we were, we would have understood that he didn't get anything personally for his sacrifice. Everything he got for his sacrifice was for us. God gave him a name that is above every other name that at the mention of the name of Jesus, every name we bow to who? To him? No. What did he do with that name? He gave the name to you. Go ye into all the world. He gave you that name. The name he acquired was for your good and my good. It was not for his own personal good because if it was for his good, do you know what he had beforehand? Equality with God. Which name do you want to get higher than that? So when he gave him a name that is above every other name, you should understand who it was for. That is why you tell demons in Jesus' name, get out. They get out. He doesn't have to talk to demons. Demons, that is, if it was his own person, they don't come near. They give him a respectful distance. When he puts angels on guard, they don't even cross. So him personally, they don't go near him. So when he got a name that can cast out demons, it was for you, it was for me, not for himself. Let me pray for you. God will bless you to an extent that you can do good and not remember. Yeah. It's important. We have to re- you know, recapture some of these things about Christianity. We have to, we have to. We've lost a lot of it. Apostle, let's get back to our message. How did we get into that? You know, I told you to remind me. Judas and predestination. <laughs> we have really worked out far. We have worked out far. We have worked out far. But I'll go back there. I just had another message again. So like I was saying, let's not assume that Judas just was ordained to betray Jesus. No. There were things, choices he made that put him on that particular path. We are talking about David. So I just took Judas as an example. We began from David's side. David was inspected by God. Let me remind us of something I've said before. I said it last time. Why did God take all the time to explain this choice of David for us? David was chosen. Even though God knew who he had chosen, he did not reveal that person to Samuel. He said, go to the house of Jesse. I want to do a drama. I want to demonstrate for you people, my children, how I do things. So I'm going to give you a small snippet, a small clip of the whole thing that happened in the heavens when I needed to choose a king for myself. I started with the house of Reuben. I considered many things, and I remembered that, no, he will not have preeminence. So I moved on. Then I went to each, I went to the most senior family, and I went to the most senior son in each family, and I went down the line, then I went to the next family. You know, you see the way the, um, um, the British royal family, they are first in line, second in line, third in line, you know. Uh-huh. 
Who's the current first in line? Prince Charles. Who's second? Prince Williams. Who's third? Prince William's son. You understand? That one is not married yet. So the second son will be the next in line. Then when they finish that one, they go, you know, they just arrange it. So each time Prince Williams drops a child, you go further down in line if you are in that family. Now, that's how it is in the Israel also. So God went according to who's in line. He kept on going down according to the person that is in line until he got to David. And what he was showing us was that I got to the house of Judah and I began to inspect the families. I got to the family of Jesse. I began to inspect his sons. He said, Pastor Bank, how do you know? Because he said clearly, when he picked um, Eliab, he said, God, he said, I have what? Rejected him. He said clearly, I have rejected him. And how do you reject if you did not consider? I hope you're getting my point. So Eliab was weighed. They considered this and considered that, and then Eliab was rejected. He said, next, Abinadab. And Abinadab was weighed. They considered this and considered that and said, no, we can't choose this one. Next, Shammah. And they went down like that until they got to David. And David was small. He was a very small boy. I began by emphasizing that God, you see, you know, no matter how young, and please teach this to your children, please, everybody, teach it to your children. God actually weighs the actions of even little children. When he was going to punish the house of Jeroboam, remember what he said? He said, he described the calamity, how all of them would die, that none of them would get a decent barrier. Apart from the boy who was sick at that time, that made Jeroboam's wife go to look for Eli. Um, um, what's the name of the prophet now? Was he Ahijah? Yes. He said, listen, that's the only one that would die. He's sick right now, and he's going to die. And he, but he said, but you have a barrier. Why? Something good was found in him. That little boy has something good. God looked at David, and he said, David has something bigly good, not just something, not a small one. It was big. Let me please say it again. It didn't guarantee David's success. It only gave him election. Did you get my point? The fact that something good was found in him was what made God anoint him. And that anointing began to grow, um, work in his life. And he had the duty to develop that thing that God found in him to make sure it was sustained and to make sure it grew and to make sure it does not fall for the temptations. You know, I began by talking about along the line, went into Judas, that the temptations of ministry, how a man said, listen, I need to make it in life. I use faith. Listen, I said it again. Faith is not given to you to make it in life. The reason God gave you faith is to obey God. I hope you're getting my point. Don't use your faith for material success. Because hope, when it's deferred, the heart becomes weak. And they start submitting to false prophets. They start believing lies. And they start bowing to Satan. Start claiming their inheritance before the time. Faith is given to us to use to obey God. So David had that duty to make sure that he continued to improve that thing that was in him. Now, after meditating, I said, what did God see in David? You know, I said, we're going to talk about that. What was it? In simple terms, he saw a heart that panted 
Is that English good? So pant, pant. Anyway, he saw a heart that was panting after God. That was, there's no confusion now. Yes. The King James said panted, you know, we can use that one now. So he saw a heart that was panting after God. I took time out along the line to show that there was idolatry in the land. If you remember that, I explained that. In the midst of that idolatry, that young boy followed hard after God. In the midst of all of that, he was seeking to know God. Let me say something to you about God. This is our father. He's interested. First, he's very wise. He's very kind. He does not look for perfect. In fact, he doesn't like perfect people. Because if you were perfect before he met you, your shoulder would be too high. Say, God, this one you are saying. I was doing like this before you came and I did not walk in sin. I said, okay, leave it now. Continue the way you are doing it. Then you now find yourself in hellfire. He said, help me. He said, ah, you want help now? You go and, I thought about it. Jacob was not a perfect man. Far from it. Far from it. In fact, Jacob is the easy way I can explain David. A trait that God found in David. It was also in Jacob. Jacob had all his failings. His father, his brother was very strong. He wasn't. His brother was very, very hardworking. He was honest. You could do good deals with his brother. Jacob, nobody really liked him the way he was sly. There was a funny way he behaved. Yet God did not like Esau. God liked Jacob. How do you know the kind of person that Jacob was? I'll tell you. It's simple. Anytime he encounters God, he wants whatever God has to give. Did you get my point? Remember when he wrestled with the Lord? When the Lord wanted to go, what did he say? I won't let you go except you bless me. See, when Jacob saw a place where there was a blessing, he fought hard to get it. Now, even when he had to... Now, please, I'm not saying what he did was right. And let me tell you, he suffered for the method he used. If God wants to bless you, and you use your own method to get the blessing, and the blessing was yours, you still suffer for the method you used that he did not approve of. Did you hear what I said? The blessing is yours, I know. But the method you used to collect it, if it's ungodly, that's why he said in Psalm 118, Enter through the gate of what? Righteousness. Whatever you want to enter in this life, use a righteous gate to enter it. Don't enter it through a gate that's not righteous. But let's, that's not what we're talking about now. What we want to talk about was that the man even wanted it. Uh, he heard the story. Maybe his father told him or his mother told him about the inheritance of the, the work of their grandfather, Abraham, with God. And that, that blessing was passing down the generations. And night was on his father's head, Isaac. So who's he moving to? The firstborn. Ah. Bro, Esau doesn't like things like that. He says, Esau, please, this is your inheritance. Give me now. Esau said, no. But you don't want it. Yes, I don't want but I'm not giving you. Ah. Okay, no problem. Let's make a long story short. From the day ahead of it, there was, there was no rest in his soul. David said, I will not rest until I find a resting place for my God. So until this inheritance rests in my heart, in my life, I'm not going to rest. The Bible says that if they had considered the way from which they came, they would have had what? Opportunity to return. Anything you consider all the time, opportunity will show up one day. I don't know whether you're getting my point. No, opportunity will always come. You know, if you enter this place now, when you're not a thief, you won't notice those who left their phone on the seat. One day they posted one guy to my department. Let me not give you the, the, the full story. So I was one of our brothers here that day. So there was a place where they said she go and walk. I said, this guy is too fine to go and walk there. So I said, let me move him over here. Let me just keep him here. So the guy, you pinched me small. I said, okay, okay, go first. I said, wait, he said, the boy is a thief. 
And that's why I said, what? They now noticed that was one of that people used to charge their phones on our corridor. And I've never all these years, I have never heard that one phone was missing. I said, if that boy comes there, phones will be disappearing every day. Why? He's a thief. He's asking what? Opportunity. But because you're not a thief, people will leave their bag, they won't zip it. You know what? You don't notice. You don't notice. But what you really consider all the time, do you get my point? The door will start open. You just start seeing doors anywhere, everywhere. That's what happened to, his, to Jacob. You think he was, he was preparing um, uh, soup, porridge, so that uh, Esau would be hungry. No. He was cooking his normal food. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He said, look, oh boy, my man, they're hungry. Let's make one soup or one beans or whatever it is. I cook it. Then Esau walked in. He said, oh boy, give me some of that. So give me your bed right. He didn't cook it because of, don't think he put something inside. He was cooking his normal cook. Is that English good again? <laughs> <laughs> he was doing his normal cooking. He was just doing his own thing. Then Esau stumbled in. And when Esau said, ah, I beg. He said, oh boy, sorry. It's just one plate I have. Jacob, come on, behave now. Behave waiting. Give me my, your inheritance. Ah. Yeah, exactly. The one I've been asking you, so he didn't give me this one. Now. He said, give me your inheritance. He said, this inheritance, he said, wait till you won't take her and die. You know, people have reasoned that um, he took advantage of Esau's weakness. It's not true. It's not true. It's food we are talking about. A man doesn't die because of one meal. You think Esau had a special metabolic problem? He didn't have. I hope you're getting my point. It's a sign of how much he valued the thing. That's all. Most of us here, if we have cars, somebody said, ah, I'm hungry. I'm about to die. He said, give me your car for one minute by. You go say, go, go. That is, <laughs> that he can go near it alone. You'll be angry. <laughs> say, let me die. Bury me in my Corolla. <laughs> because of how much you value it. That's why I tell young ladies, you are on campus. One lecturer is chasing you that if you don't sleep with him, you will not pass. To me, I don't consider it temptation. Personally, I do not consider it temptation. I consider it a reason to shoot somebody, yes. Okay, maybe temptation to kill. Are you getting my point? Yes, it's a temptation to kill somebody. It's a temptation to stab an adult in the neck. Yeah, that's what I consider it. But I do not consider it a temptation to go to bed with you, God forbid. What are we comparing? Passing an exam? With what? Ah, it depends on the value you place on things, it, no, it's been, so there are things I don't consider temptation. It's that you come and meet me now. You say, Pastor Banky, just help us shoot somebody. We'll give you $10 million. Is that, is that a temptation? You need to be a moderate at heart first. Tell me, it's not a temptation. I say, I need $10 million. So what will I do? I just shoot okay, Muti, then I give you $10 million. I say, okay, after I've shot it, what will I tell you, Tokwe? I say, okay, Tokwe, take $5 million. <laughs> You know, some things are not, listen, some things are not temptations. They are not. So let's not at all for any reason blame um, Jacob. No. We can't blame Jacob. We can't blame Jacob. I laid the blame squarely at the feet of Esau. That you could trade something like that. It shows that you did not have value. 
They didn't even have value in your eyes. You didn't think it was a serious thing. That's why you could just discard it like, okay, for a meal. And then you eat it and you're at peace. Even if you eat that kind of meal normally, you say, ah, Jacob, come, 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 come. What did I pay for this food? My inheritance. I won't vomit. I know the job again. Give me, come, come, give me back. Jacob, when your eye don't clear. The guy went along as if nothing happened. The basic issue was that he did not have a serious value for it personally. Those who valued it, they sold all they had. And bought. Do you get my point? No, think about a man like Jacob. He would have sold everything. Don't think about his food. That guy would have given everything for that inheritance. And it's the reason why God chose him. We're talking about David. That was the reason why God chose David. David said, my soul follows hard after you. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants after you. I would rather be a doorkeeper. Are you seeing the kind of words that came from the mouth of David? Those are the kind of things that David was saying as a little boy that God was hearing. God was not checking his perfection. God was not checking what he knew, what he did not know. God was checking what his affection was. I hope you are getting my point. You see, the, those are the kind of words you hear from David's mouth. When he says that um, um, in a dry and weary place where there is no water. David was not saying that I'm in a dry and weary place where there is no water. What he said is this. My soul pants after you. The way the soul of a man who is in a dry I'm wearing where there is no water. He said, the way he will be longing for water, that is how I'm longing for you, oh my God. We think that David is in a dry place. No. He said, no, man. Ah. You know, I remember once I was in Lagos. I still remember that day. It was very funny. I literally was feeling as if I was having what they call withdrawal symptoms. What they call withdrawal symptoms. For those who don't know, let me just explain. If you take drugs like heroin, cocaine, now, these days, fentanyl, even... Um, tramadol, all those drugs. Now, if you don't take them, you're not going to be normal. Okay, even ordinary cigarette smoking. A man who smokes, if he has not smoked for a while, his hand may actually literally start sh- shaking. That's what we call withdrawal symptoms, okay? So it, the urge, a lot of people who do drugs, especially drugs like heroin, just by the way, they can kill when they need the drug. Heroin especially. It's so terrible in fact, a lot of crimes committed worldwide is committed by people who need to take their next shot of drugs. They are under so much pressure. So that they had something similar to that. For what? I had not heard a good word in a while. I sat in my office and I was literally shaking. God, you don't think when I hear correct word though. Ah, I would look, I just wanted to hear something good. So one of my friends is a surgeon in Luz now. So he came, I said, oh, boy, please, please, I need to hear something. I said, what do you have at home? We're in the office. What do you have at home? He said, I counting for me. I have this. I said, no. I have this one. No. What about this? Ah, I said, let's try that one out. How many tips? He said, four tips. Let's go to the house. So I followed him to the house that night. I used to go around with small radio. You know, now phones do everything. I used to go around with small radio. You know, I had a small radio. He said, well, not a Walkman. You know Walkman you have to use? No, it had to have speakers because I couldn't plug in my ear all the time. So I had this tiny lead radio Kissed play actually with two speakers, small, but quite small but powerful. I used to go around with it. That night, I took my cousin's car, I went to his house at night. Then on the way home, the car didn't have a stereo, so I took my small radio 
I couldn't wait to get home. I listened to like two hours of messages, sharp, sharp. Literally, this is not a joke. My body now cooled down. I still remember the message I listened to, Born to Take the Grapes. That's the title of the, the series, four tapes. But that night, I did two. One I did in my home, on my way home. I couldn't wait to get home. As if I was on drugs, I was, you know what they call withdrawing. I was having withdrawal symptoms. I need to chop some scriptures to calm down. I did that too. That's the kind of thing David was saying. He said, you know, the, the way somebody is thirsty and it's in a dry place, there's no water. He said, the way he longs for water, he said, Lord, that's how my soul is longing after you. You know, one day one of my senior colleagues told me how much he paid to watch a match. He went to England for something. So now say, ah, since he's here, maybe now he's an Arsenal fan or something, or Chelsea, I don't know. Since he's there, stadium. When he told me how much he paid, he came to an equivalent of like 200,000 naira. Say, for one match, you know the truth? I will never, I can't even pay two, th- I can't pay one, f- <laughs> I can't pay to watch a match. Let's put it like that. I don't care how cheap it is. If you won't give it to me free, forget it. If I, you give me meat pie and cook, say, I, I agree to enter to watch the match. When the man told me how much he paid, I was looking, I said, sir, excuse me, I don't get it. He was trying to explain that paying for premium bouquet locally for him is, is bagging. I was looking at this man like this. So one day he was in England, and then we were playing. He went. When he changed the money for me, he came to like 200K. I, I thought I, the day I knew, in America, what they call Super Bowl. When I saw how much one ticket for two Super Bowl was going for, I just told myself, what's the name of that our guy? Uh, the, what's the name of that Nigerian? Uh, eh? Malu. Omalu, the, neuro, the neuropathologist. If I one day I saw him on CNN, or CNN or BBC, we interview him. He was talking, and I heard him talk with his Nigerian accent. I said, "Do you think anybody will listen to you?" Because he's Nigerian, trained in Nigeria, went abroad, you know. So he went went to school here. So now God, there is a neuropathologist, and they now so that any time they are playing that game, they are they are killing their brain. Do you know how much one ticket? This one they are doing Super Bowl, six thousand dollars. Who cares how many brains they kill? Those guys can't care. When he was talking that day, I said, oh boy, nobody's going to listen to you. Adverts, one minute during the Super Bowl, two million dollars. Who's going to listen to you? When you see that stadium full, people pay thousands of dollars to come and watch. A number of people just run around. You know, one day we are, you are going to look back and realize how silly all these things sports are. Just be running after a ball. Hey, 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 hey. Then you pay that amount of money. Anyway, sports is a religion. Now, you see where I'm going? Do you know if we lock this door? Say to hear Pastor Banky preach today, we go draw 10,000 there. How many people do you think will come inside? That's where I'm going. Let me just tell you something. We are, God, freely we have received, freely we give. And God expects us to do it like that. He doesn't put a price on the gospel. But listen, one day he's going to put a personal test on you to check how much value you place on it. One day you will face that test. One day, you will face the test. One day. How your test is going to come, I don't know. But one day, you will face the test. And sometimes the test will not be money. It's what they call opportunity cost. That one happens regularly. I've heard people say things like, uh, that program, don't fix it at uh, 5 Why? Because they are playing UEFA, UEFA Cup final. You know what I normally do? Or is it Champions League? You know what I normally do at such times? I will ask, when exactly is the match starting? 
You tell me 4.45. I said, that's when I'm going to start preaching. Churches do it. They will shift the time of the program so that people can go and watch a match. That is called working for Satan. That's the only way I can say it. Someone will bring television to church. God closed that church at least for two years. So all of you have sense. Stupidity. Match. How else do you define vanity? It even has more sense. They say they are going to eat food. Match. Football match. 22 adults running after a, a plastic ball. Uh, uh, what, what is it? The leather. No, they don't use leather again, no. Our real leather. They are still using leather. It's in the, I know it's, it's not synthetic something. I, they, they don't use leather, leather, leather like that. Okay, even if it's leather. It's just, it's not, they, all the leather inside is no more than the head of a cow, is it? <laughs> and people are, no. If you're a pastor, please stop that nonsense. It shouldn't even be discussed. As the people here, they know you don't raise such things near me. I think the, the comparison is, is, is an insult to the Lord. You want to gather to pray or share the word, to sit down like this, to study scripture, and you tell me that uh, Manchester United wants to play um, Arsenal or Chelsea or wherever it is. I'll, I'll, the way I will look at you, you're in the same category as those who are using their energy to watch Big Brother Africa. One day, one brother, when we were in school, you don't call the fellowship. He said, the fellowship holds at the time he watches another life. No, I think about those things. I do know today, the guy has another life. <laughs> That's the only thing I can say. Let me drop this for you as, as we're going on, all right? In life, God is checking how you value his word. Open to the book of Isaiah chapter 66. God is checking. He's checking what you are ready to give up for his word. Isaiah chapter 66. Let us have from verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. Now in the fact that I make all, I've made all of these things, that shows how great my power is, the Lord was saying. I made the heavens, I made the earth. He said, but in the midst of everything, to this one I will look, look at it. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, who does what? Who trembles at my word. Who trembles at my word. That is, God judges you by how much you value his word. I hope you are getting my point. You want to know why God loved David? Maybe next time we might take a number of scriptures. I didn't really prepare to bring them out. Now I just call them off, uh, you know, off head. There are many things you hear David say. I have valued the word from your mouth more than my necessary food. I hope you are getting my point. Those are the kinds of statements you hear from David. I'd rather be the doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Why? Because if I'm there, I will be hearing the word of God. That's the kind of thing you hear from David. As the deer pants after the water brooks, so my heart pants after you. So my soul pants after you. Those are the kinds of things you hear from David. Listen to me. He didn't start when he was old. That seed was in his heart as a little boy. That was the singular reason God chose him. That's the singular reason that God put so much anointing upon him. Let me tell you something about the anointing of David. I never realized until I started just reading the Bible because of this thing we are doing, looking at the life of David. I used to think David, God had put something upon him by which he killed that. No, 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 no. 
It was that anointing as a king that gave him the ability to kill lions. It was that unction, that, you know, that rulership unction, that kingly anointing that God poured on him that made it possible for him to kill the bear. That was the same anointing he used to face Goliath. When God sees the right heart, it, he enables the individual. That's what I'm making. When God saw the right heart in David, that was why he poured the anointing upon him. Listen, David was precious to God. Why? Because God was precious to David. I hope you are getting the point I'm trying to make here. Listen, you know why God rejected Saul? We know the story. God told Saul, go and do something. Saul didn't do it. Then God gave a word to Samuel. Go and tell him you did not do it. <laughs> you know, of course, he didn't, you will know the story. He got and there was arguing with Samuel. I did it. I did it. I know I did not. I did what the Lord said. I beg. I did what the Lord said. I did what he said. And listen to what I'm going to say here. Did he do what the Lord said? Now, don't give me a yes and no answer. Think about it for a moment. Now, who wants to answer it for me? Did he do what the Lord said? Huh? This particular answer I'm looking for. Good. Partially. Not completely. That's where I was going. No, but I wanted the emphasis on, because he, to him, he did. I don't know whether you're getting my point. They said, killed all the people. They did kill them, almost everybody, minus the king. Destroy all the goods. He destroyed most goods, apart from the few cows and sheep and goats that the people took. That is why partial obedience to God is not obedience at all. The point I'm making is that David understood it. Anytime you bring judgment to David, you say that you have disobeyed the word of God. The man is in dust and ashes. When they say number is ready, you know till today, most of us don't know what was wrong with numbering Israel. Husband, what was wrong? Do you know the truth? I'm not even sure I know. I have ideas. You know, or you have an idea. Because means I get idea. You found it? Ah, I beg. Ah, hey, Apostle, we have a Bible class after now. All those who want to know, wait behind after now, because we have two people that are going to teach us the thing that was wrong. There's only one problem. Make sure you tell me what I don't know already. Can I beg both of you? You must tell me what I do not know already. Why are you shaking your head? I probably know, but I thought I don't know it now. Okay, I, I would like to hear it. But the point I want to emphasize is this. Most people don't even know what it was. Trivial it might appear to most of us. I hope you're getting my point. Yet, David did not argue over it. Why? Because his word, the word of God was precious to him. I hope you're getting my point here. What, why, what was the reason why God chose David? It is simple. It was that kind of heart that valued the work with God so highly. Is it, and listen, any time, any time, be, listen, the reason is because they are scarce. They are difficult to come by. Anytime God finds such a person, he's glad. And he holds the person very dear. When you hear that Enoch walked with God, I like the way the person said it. He said Enoch walked with God and it was, it was not because God took him. Say what happened? It's simple. That he and God used to take strolls. So one day, he and the Lord went on a stroll. And they walked so far that God just told him that, we have gone too far away from your house. Why don't you just come to my own house? <laughs> Literally, God enjoyed Enoch's company. This will surprise many of us. Do you know the Lord is looking for the kind of person he can gist with? You read your Bible, God actually, you, you know, we have this impression on God. He doesn't need anything. 
I don't need anything. They cut down the thousand hills, they are mine. I, I hope you're getting my point. But you know the truth? He said the lost portion is what? His people. That's what actually what he's looking for. Why did he used to come to the garden to come and sit down with Adam and Eve? He could have taught them all kinds of angels were teaching them already. My personal conviction, he enjoyed the company. He enjoyed the company. He enjoyed the company. He was going to Sodom and Gomorrah. He had made up his mind what he wanted to do. But he said, let's pass by and discuss it with our friend Abraham. That word, to call somebody the friend of God, is very important to God. You know, I don't know. <laughs> you know, the older you get, the fewer friends you seem to have. You know, if people die, it's very terrible. All right? But I've realized that when people leave your life also for certain reasons, it also hurts almost as much. When I was much younger, I didn't really care. If I remember when our family friends were parking out, we were our neighbors for years, we were now moving from our, uh, from one town to another, and everybody was crying. I'm like, why are those men crying? What's wrong with all these people? You know what? My problem, I was a small boy. I didn't understand. Then as I became, I became older, I now found out that it's actually hard to make friends. It's actually hard. It's very, very, you may think, look, just to gist and be talking, that's not what I'm talking about. You know, when I was in just, Pastor Chintok said something there. It didn't even strike me until he said it. He said that when he came to, it was our guest at Lukaf, about, is it two years ago? That about, that was 2019 now. Yeah, it was our last guest, or okay, 2019 or 2018, I think, okay, it was our guest a few years ago, in alumni fellowship. I didn't know that what impressed him the most. Of course, we're happy. He blessed us so much. His ministry is such a blessing. But what impressed him, he was happy he came. He said, yeah, he actually had never seen anything like that. When we told him that we had been meeting like that annually, he came for our 30th anniversary. So he found out that as at now, I've known Pastor Courage for about 32 years. Somebody like Mommy and I've known her for like 34 years. And we have been friends consistently for that period. My friend in the U.S. that I mentioned once in a while, we became friends in 1987. No, I think 86. 86, sorry. 86. Until now we are friends. So he was, he was just talking about it. You know, it didn't even strike me like that until he brought up the issue. And then one day, my wife said something. You know, he said it to me. They said it to mommy. and said that. That my husband treats your matter. You understand my point? Like... I don't know, how did you describe it that time? That if, if, if it's, um, which word do I use now? I don't know how to say it again. There was a way she described it like, ah, my wife did look like it now. Wow, you people are really, because I knew them before I met my wife, you know? You know, if I remember one particular day, my, um, uh, called me and said that, um, wanted me to pray for her son. Okay? He was not feeling well. This was like night, maybe around 2 a.m., that one odd hour like that. So I took the call. So I prayed on the phone. Then when I hung up, my wife wasn't sure she had ever seen me pray like that. See, the way this man I pray, ah, like, oh my, this is serious. The way I prayed, no, I prayed on the phone, no, just praying, you know, and I prayed, finished, I can't drop the phone, and I pray, I can't start. That was when I started praying. My wife remarked to me later, I said, my God, she wasn't sure she had ever seen me pray like that. That he said, when it is your sister's matter, the thing grips you like this. I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't planned, though. 
Yeah, you know, you've known people for so long. That's the point I need to make. And when I came to Enugu, we had a group of friends, a number of us, you know, young husbands and young wives. You know, just All of us just married about the same time. All of us married around that period. We just came to Enugu. And then we were going one by one. First, my guy got packed. Jonathan. Jonathan's guy okay, packed and left to Lagos. Located to Lagos. The other guy packed, packed, packed his bag. Off to the UK. Then my guy, the one I've known for the longest of the list, uh, of the, on, on that list, he packed and off to the United States. Then one day my wife looked at each other and we only had each other. We, did, we literally didn't have, you know, that is, when we came to Enugu, we were by, by four of us like that, you know, husband and wife, all of us, you know, that, or just husband and wife, no children, nothing. It was along there, we're dropping, we're giving birth to children, one after, you know, like that. The family started together. We used to hang out in the evening, maybe go to this guy's house. We just sit down there. The guys would sit down here and be telling stories. The ladies would be on the other side telling their stories. Before anything was happening, it was only us remaining. Everybody had gone. Enugu became very lonely. The one time my wife wanted to go, for, you know, she was now looking for friends everywhere. And I started making very nonsense friends. <laughs> then one day I tapped her shoulder. I said, sit down. So the problem with you is that the friends God has given you, you have not yet recognized them. She now looked around and said, it's true. She said, you wake up in the morning. She said, I don't have friends again. I said, what do you now want me to do now? She said, come, let's go and visit this person. I said, who told this person wants to be your friend? He said, the problem is that eh, you don't visit people. So don't give me. Those were my friends. Did I visit them? We were just friends. There was no calculated. So we shall go and visit this person. They have to visit for three times. The person is not heroin. I'm not trying to get hooked on somebody. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm just describing for all of this to so see the way human nature is. That's how human nature is. No matter, listen, one of my friends once, he was moving to a particular part of the United States. He said, I hey, got a good job here. What do I think? I said, bros, if you go that side, listen to me. If I go to America, I'm not coming to look for you. Why only you go stay for, you know, everybody, they were human beings. They now go and stay in one corner. I have to take a special flight to come and look for only you. I said, please, my brother, people are not people without people. He said, it's true. I said, locate yourself where we can easily find you. Now, that's how human beings are. We are built for connection. And do you know where we got that from? It's from the Lord, in whose image we're made. We are saying all of us are understanding. We get it. We laugh. We understand what I'm trying to say. But do you realize that's exactly how the Lord feels? Yes? That's exactly how he feels. So there's nobody to talk to. They all come to church. Oh. They all come to church. Abraham's blessings are right there. When they come, Father God, bless me. Give me something. They go. They have another problem. Once they show up, it's a problem. He knows. Sometimes he deploys an angel at the door. When they say, our father who art in heaven, say, Gabriel, answer him. What, what does he want? It's money. How much? Says ten thousand. Like, Give him twenty five thousand. Me not come here again for some time. <laughs> Say, because that is the only thing they want. They, they don't want to sit down and say, Lord, what's on your mind? What do you want to do in Nigeria? Now, one of the things I've been on my mind for some time, I said, Lord, please help me understand what is going on in this country. Then I went and read the book of Jeremiah. And if you read that Jeremiah portion, eh, you will be like the description of Nigeria. Say trouble shall come from the north. (laughs) 
No, go and read it. Do you know, I was in the over the last two days. I was like, Lord, is it Israel you're talking about the vows? Because I don't get it. You now say it is for the sins of the people. He said the pro, he said the pastors have lost their senses. Ah, when I was reading, I said, Lord, is this the issue of Nigeria? I'm not. I'm not saying I've heard the years, but it was so. When we describe that's all the problems we are finding, we are having right now. No, just go and read from Jeremiah around chapter two, read to chapter ten. Ah, he said they shall come from the north. I said, ah, where did Hezmer come from? I was going go and read it. Describe everything. People are going on the road. They can't move on the road because there's trouble. He's all there. Okay, why? Uh-huh. Say, so you know why? The pastors have lost their senses. That's how New Living Transition put it. They've lost their senses. They no longer inquire of the Lord. They don't know what the Lord is saying. Now, I'm bringing an issue here. So, see, what the Lord actually loved in David was that attitude, a heart that just wanted to know God. And he had it as a little boy. The story I told at the beginning, I told it for a particular reason. So that we will understand that it was not common. It was not because it was a standard thing in Israel. It wasn't. There was a lot of idolatry. And that was what made it most remarkable with David. Then in the midst of all of this, a little boy said, no, I want to know the Lord. My heart pants after him. What do we do these days? Even we preachers, we fill brethren with other things in front of them than the Lord. Like I, that's what I was saying along the line. As a minister, if you put anything in front of you, apart from Christ, and walk in the manner pleasing to him, one day you will walk into error. You can't help it. If you think that ministry is so that you can build a house, you will walk into error. If you have made up your mind that this ministry, me too, must be big, they must hear my name nationwide, for the sake of the fame attached to that, one day you will walk into error. And we start putting it in front of people. And that is why I say it again, I am totally against this success doctrine that we preach. That what matters in life is just to succeed. That God wants you to succeed is not true. God wants you to know him. There are people that got to know him and the world judged them a failure. Yes. As long as we get to heaven, we'll find out the truth. I heard the story of Sadhus Sundar Singh. You can, you can Google up his story. The first person I heard talk about him was, um, I read in his book, John G. Lake. John G. Lake described Sadhu Singh. Now, you understand, Sadhu Singh grew up as a, I think was a Sikh. You know what they call a Sikh? Yeah, I think it was a Sikh. I think it was a Sikh. As a young boy, one day, he decided to commit suicide. I think he was frustrated with life, but he was a teenager when he got to know the Lord. Now, when he got to know the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus revealed himself to him. So now I saw that, ah, this gospel that this white boy bring is not really a lie. It's really true. But they said the problem was that they presented it. You know, that's one problem I think Christianity sometimes have. We bring our culture with the, with the gospel. So anytime you are taking Christianity, you end up taking European or American culture with it. It would be very difficult to separate them. But so he made up his mind to separate them. So he wanted to present Christianity in the context of Indian culture. So he decided to live as a, like a, a guru. You know the way those guys, like I saw those thing, self right does still now. You understand? He dedicated his time, alright, fellowshipping with the Lord. He lived almost like an ascetic. Okay? It wasn't just because of the doctrines associated with it, but just wanted to present this thing as an Indian thing. Make a long story short. They said if you approach his presence that time, 
Sadhus on the sink. That's what, that's what John Gillick wrote about it. I think he went to see him. He said, when you approach him, you get the same feeling, you get the feeling that you are approaching the Lord Jesus Christ. That that's how much, you know, that's how much, that is, he didn't have shoes though. He walked around most of the time barefoot. But he's sitting down, oh, Sanders <laughs> Singh, if you come here and sit down for two hours to go home. If you go to Linto Sanders Singh, you'll sit down for two days. You can't invite him for a program and you give him three sessions. When you invite Sanders Singh, you give him six weeks, two months. Those are the kind of invitations people like that used to take. The point I want to make is that John Gilly said if you approached him, there was an aura about him. You felt you were approaching Jesus Christ. And then one day, he not walked with God, and he was not. But God took him. He just disappeared. He never saw him again. Savaraj will tell you that he had the same experience as Enoch. Now, we don't have proof of that, but that's what happened to Sunday Singh. He just went on a trip, and they never saw him again. They never saw him again. And the way Salvaraj would describe his situation is that he was just like Enoch walked with God. And he was not because God took him. What am I preaching today? Let me end my message here. Till now, do you know God is still looking for people? That's the summary. Till today, he's looking for people. He's looking for people whose hearts long after him. We preachers, this day, we present God so much as a source of blessing. People's hearts don't long after God. They long after the blessing that he holds. Their hearts don't long after the Lord. It's a blessing. How do we get prosperity? Follow the Lord. So they follow the Lord hard. But for prosperity. Nigeria is not safe these days. So they are kidnapping people. They follow the Lord hard because of safety. And that is why it is so easy to be deceived. You know the truth? Those who deceive people can never... It is not possible. God did not give that one to them. They can never deceive anybody who is truly, genuinely seeking after the Lord. No. God didn't give them that one. They can't. The days of our wizard. When people be arguing with me, I say, this talk, talk, you are talking. All you have to tell me is that he gives food to the poor. He does wonders. When did you sit down and he breathed the spirit of Christ into you? My wife and I used to make a joke. When we watch the congregation, I said, they all look dead. You know, uh, did you ever notice it? Oh, you used to say that too? Yes, all you did was look at the congregation. Even the choir, they look dead. They are singing, oh, let us worship the Lord. I said, you are not even, you can't even lie about it. Let us worship Jesus. Jesus, we worship you. Jesus said, eh? You see their spirits dead. Dead. It was clear. The whole congregation will look like you're looking at a graveyard. I said, the man is walking wonders. I said, how bad? It's because you went to look for wonders. You did not go to look for the Lord. If you went to look for the Lord, you would have known. One of my junior colleagues said something the other day about it. He said that, he used to watch the man on TV. He and his wife would sit down and be watching. So he got attracted. He got interested. So one day he went to Lagos. He said to go and pay the place a visit. So when he got there, he said, genuine believer. So the moment he stopped there, he said you could feel the evil. He said, he, he, he said it was, you know, sometimes when Christians argue with you, wonder, you want to ask person, are you born again? Because if you really are a believer, there are certain things that I wonder, ah, why will you be deceived? He said he just got there as soon as he got there. He said from the time you enter the street, he said you perceive it, that the evil in the air was strong. He got to the building. 
in his eyes, the whole place just looked dark. It was like he was dark, but there was this darkness that he could perceive around there. He told himself, my God, I must never come here again. After that, I went to his house. Nobody watches this program anymore. It is when you are not seeking the Lord, people will be doing magic to deceive you. When you finish doing your magic, show me Christ. You can't. Listen, except it is the Lord you are seeking. In this life, you will be deceived. If you are coming to church, you say, okay, this pastor is genuine, but really in your heart is prosperity you are seeking. You will be deceived. The only thing you are allowed to seek, he said, this is eternal life. That they will know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is all. That's whatever you are doing in life. Ask yourself, am I going to discover God in this? You've heard me pray for people. Maybe they are getting married. Or they've just had a child. My prayer for parents or for a new husband or new wife is that in this relationship, this new experience, you will discover the face of God better. That's my primary prayer for you. I've never seen a child that said, this child you have today will take care of you when you are old. Why should you need care when you are old? Are you planning to be a problem? Did you hear that Isaac was taking care of Abraham when he was old? When Abraham was old, he was arranging wife for Isaac. Elijah, I don't want my son to marry any of these girls around here. So you will go. And that one took Abraham's money. That's not the kind of thing you be believing God for. Let me have children so they can take care of me where, where I'm old. Listen. Children, take care of your parents if they are old. Amen? Amen? But that's not why you want to have children. Because you'll be so blessed. You'll be taking care of your, your grandchildren when you are old. Somebody say amen. amen. Let me say it again. You will be so blessed, you will be taking care of your grandchildren even when you are old. Amen. You will be so blessed, your children will even, they will drop two-year-olds, three-year-olds with you, and you will be running up and down. I don't mean like money, you know, there's money to take care of. But there's physical take care of, hey, you sit down there, rock the baby, and for goodness sake. And you're talking about sometimes even your great-grandchild. And you'll be a mother, you see, be doing no more God for great grandchildren. It's called being a blessing. Say amen, no? Amen. If you say amen, you will enjoy it. Amen. Uh-huh. It's important. So that's why I don't pray for people. Have you heard me pray that they this? No. The prayer I pray is different. Is that as you have come to have this baby, you will know, because personally, there are parts of God I didn't understand until I got married. There were parts of it, honestly, I didn't understand it. I couldn't relate to as well with it. Until Akinu was born. It was when my son was born, I think I, I learned to relax some more. I said, God, if you love me half as much as I love these children, that one just Akinu, and the other ones were dropping. I said, if you love me half as much as I love them, why should I worry? No, really, half, not full. Half. If it's a banky, how much do you love your children? You say, 5G. Are you getting my point? I don't know. I just said 5G, gravity, uh, that's gravity, I don't mean anything, I'm not talking about telecom. And I said, God, if now 2.5G, you take love me, then I don't have anything to worry about. Now think about it, if I love my children 5G, he loves me and them more than 1 million G. He loves them to an extent that I don't, I don't even understand, I'm not able to, you know, comprehend. Then why am I worried? Why am I worried? That was when I began to understand that revelation. So that's why I pray for people. They're just married. I say, in Jesus' name, in this marriage, you will discover God more than before. You will get to know his face. You will get to know him better. As a parent, you will get to know him better. You will understand him better. That is eternal life. Why did God love David? I'll tell you. Why did God choose David? He said, I have found a man after my heart who will do all my desires. 
David was committed to following God wherever he would go. So he said, my heart follows hard. Hard after you. Not after your blessings. What am I saying today? Let's drop this following after blessings. Let's just start following hard after him. That's why we'll be loved and appreciated the way David was. Can we bow down our heads and begin to make that commitment? Let's make that commitment. Lord, that's all I want. Lord, that's all I want. Let's begin to pray. Each person just pray. Lord, my soul follows hard after you. My soul longs for you. In a dry place where there's no water. My soul longs after you. Pray, pray, pray that prayer. He said, oh God, you are my God. I shall open your Bibles, please, and pray from there. Psalm 63. I think we should all read it together. Psalm 63. Now I want to read it loud. Is that okay? And you're going to pray with it. All right, one, two, let's go. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary. Used to see your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So will I bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth offers praises with joyfulness. Just those, those five verses. That's, no, let's read six and seven. Six, seven, and eight. One, two, let's go. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Read verse 8 again. My soul clings to you. My, your right hand upholds me. One more time. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Now let me just teach you this. We do it in my house all the time. We do it once in a while in Kingdom World here also. This is what we do in my house. After we have finished doing like this, each person now starts meditating. You know what meditation? Not thinking. How do we do it? Each person, you read it out loud to yourself. And then, there's movement. There must be movement. We don't do like this. I remember when the parents was meditating. This is how it was doing his own meditation. We were looking at him and trying not to laugh. <laughs> just, he didn't know what he was doing. It just, Lord, you my God. It's everybody, there must be movement. Benga rocks like a Hindu. I said, there must be movement. You have to shake, shake the thing into your system. Brethren, we have three minutes. Let's meditate. Whatever you have to do, if you have to be doing your leg like this, go ahead and do it. But read down the scriptures. You're not just thinking, you're reading them out. Oh Lord, he said, oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary. To see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied with your marrow and fatness. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help. 
and the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Just do that. From that verse 1 to verse 8, you can go by several times. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. In this past and weary land where there is no water, I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night, because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right arm holds me securely. Just meditate on that for one more minute.